All right. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Before we get into the text this evening, uh, there's a possibility that you might think from time to time, why don't we get anything practical out of this? I mean, this seems like this isn't like the epistles which says this is the truth and this is how you ought to live and, and all like that. In other words, here's something you ought to do. And it's because the Gospel of John is about Jesus. It's about revealing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about teaching us about Him. It's not, so, it's not about what to do. Uh, you don't have the Sermon on the Mount here. You know, Matthew, with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling his disciples and those that listen to him, this is how you ought to live. John says, this is who Jesus is. It's an entirely different emphasis altogether. I think that's one of the reasons I'm enjoying teaching through John so much, is it just keeps refreshing in our mind, this is who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And seeing him for who he is, all we can do is trust him. All we can do is just thank God for him and thank him for coming. And that's what we're going to see tonight. We're in John chapter 13. And last week we saw the Lord Jesus Christ washing his disciples' feet. (laughs) That was unexpected. They did not expect him to wash their feet. They didn't expect him to humble himself like that and do that. He's... He's so unexpected in everything. He's not the kind of Messiah that the people of Israel expected. He's turning out to not even be the kind of Messiah that his 12 apostles expected. I mean, he's their king. Uh, He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one of God. And he acts like a lowest slave in a household and washes our feet and the truth is he's not the kind of God we expected I mean most of us we expected God to be stern and upset and grumpy and say well if you're going to get right with me here's a bunch of things you're going to have to do we expected the kind of God that says when you get good enough then I'll accept you. He's not like that at all. He's the opposite of that. He's the God who made us and then turns around and comes to us because we won't come to him. And he not only comes to us, he doesn't just come to us like on Mount Sinai in all of his glory and all of his power. He comes to us as one of us And I'm going to say this again in just a few minutes. Just exactly like us. One of us except without sin. That's the only difference. We didn't expect him to do that. The world doesn't expect him to do that. Because they don't know him. And the only way we can know him and the only way the world can know him is to hear what the word of God says about him. And that's what we're doing throughout the series 
through going through the book of John. So last week he washed his disciples' feet. And this afternoon we're going to read about Jesus. That is God the Son's betrayal and his glory. So look at chapter 13. We're going to begin with verse 18 and read down through verse 32. Jesus says, I do not speak about all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it occurs. So that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. Now your Bible may have I am he. And he is in uh, italics. That's been added. Because they think that makes the, the, the meaning plainer. It doesn't. But what he says there in verse 19. From now on I am telling you before it occurs. So that when it does occur you may believe that I am. Truly, truly I say to you. He who receives anyone I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things. He became troubled in spirit and bore witness and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him to inquire, Who is the one of whom he is speaking? He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He is the one for whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after the piece of bread, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were thinking, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Hmm. We started out in verse 18 there. I do not speak about all of you. We have to jump back up to verse 10 to see what this is about. Remember, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and he comes to Peter. And Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. You're the Messiah. I'm just your disciple. This is unseemly for you to take the position of a slave and wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And so Simon says, well, not just my feet, then my hand and my head also. And Jesus says, no, no. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. 
And you are clean. Completely clean. But not all of you. Look at verse 11. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said not all of you are clean. So back down to verse 18. When he says I do not speak about all of you. He's talking about Judas. I know the ones I have chosen. Jesus chose his disciples intentionally. Remember he prayed all night long on the mountain. By himself. Before he came back down to the multitude that was waiting for him at the foot of the mountain. And then started choosing his disciples. And he ended up or choosing his apostles. Let me put it like that. He had already picked out Peter. Andrew, John, James, Nathaniel, and Bartholomew. And then he finished that day with the rest of the crowd. And Judas is among those that he picked. Now he picked the eleven. He chose them specifically. So that they would go out into the world and teach the world the good news about God coming to earth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dying for our sins. Taking all the wrath that we deserve on himself. Raising himself from the dead and making full payment for all of our sins. Cleansing all of the sins of all those who will trust in him. That's the good news. And he said you're going to make disciples of all the nations. But he chose Judas too. And he chose Judas for a very specific purpose. And you know what it is. So that Judas would betray him. Say what? Yeah. The Lord Jesus Christ chose Judas so that Judas would betray him. Notice what he says here in verse uh, 18. I know the ones I have chosen. I know every one of you. I know what you are. I know what you think. I know all your weaknesses. I know your strengths. I know... You're exactly what I wanted in your weakness to demonstrate my power. I know your heart. I know that you believe me. And I know that that you are learning me. And the more that you learn about me, the more you're going to believe me. And I know Judas. I know what Judas is. I know that he's greedy. That all he cares about is money. I know that in his heart, Judas sees me as nothing but a money-making scheme. Here's the Messiah of Israel. If I can get in good with him, if I can get a good position with him, I can make a lot of money. And then Judas finds that he's one of the inner twelve. And he's thinking, this is is better than I had ever hoped. Because I've got the money box. They've entrusted it to me. Man, this is everything I've ever wanted. I can be the treasurer of the king and I can get rich, filthy rich out of embezzling money from the kingdom when he becomes the Messiah. Jesus knew that about Judas. But Jesus chose him because he needed someone who would betray him. The 11, the other 11 would never betray him. I mean, he's the Messiah. He's going to bring in the golden age of Israel. And besides, 
Judas might be the treasurer, but I'm going to be the prime minister, and he's going to be the secretary of state. We're all going to have these high positions in the kingdom. They would never betray Jesus because they know who he is. They don't understand who he is as God the Son, but they know he's the Messiah, and they'll never betray him. Matter of fact, they're all willing to die for him. You remember back in uh, chapter 11, it's not just Peter. And when, Judas, when Jesus says, let's go back into Judea because our friend Lazarus is, is sleeping and I'm going to raise him. And they said, but Lord, the Jews just wanted to stone you and you're going back into Jerusalem? And Thomas says, well, if he's got his mind made up, let's go with him and die with him. You see, they're utterly committed to him. They still, at this point, don't understand that he is who he keeps saying he is. that he's, he's not just the human son of God. He's God become human. They, they don't have that yet. But they're utterly committed to him. Judas, on the other hand, if Judas can make more money than he ever wanted to, he'll betray Jesus. Jesus chose him knowing full well what he is and who he is. Because he needs someone to betray him. Because why did he come to earth? He came to earth to fulfill the mission of reconciling sinners like me to the Father. Of converting wretched, vile sinners like me into the children of God. Into those who will believe God and take God at his word. So Jesus chose Judas for a purpose. Because Judas is the one that will betray him. Judas has a traitor's heart from the very beginning. And Jesus knows that. And so he chooses him to be the one who will betray him. And then you see what it says there at the rest of verse 18. I know the ones I have chosen. But that the scriptures may be fulfilled... And he quotes Psalm 41.9. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it occurs. So that when it does occur you may believe that I am. Psalm 41 is David. David wrote that psalm. And David is writing out of his own heartbroken experience. In Psalm 41... David has a dear, close friend that betrays him, that turns against him. He's not named. We don't know who it was. Could have been Ahithophel. Could have been some of the others. And David is stunned because it's a close friend. And he never saw it coming. And he's deeply grieved. The Lord Jesus Christ knew from the beginning... Judas would betray him. And yet he's deeply grieved. It's important that we realize that Jesus knew this from the very beginning. Go back to John chapter 6. Keep your place there in John 13. Go back to chapter 6 and look at verse 70. You remember, this is after Jesus has fed to 15,000. We call it feeding to 5,000, but it's more like 15,000. He's fed to 15,000. And then he turns on the crowd and says, it actually does turn on the crowd. It says, the only reason that you're following me is for the food. 
You don't believe who I am. You, you don't believe what I'm saying. You just want the food. And you remember that he keeps telling them that if you believe in me, that I am the bread of life, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have eternal life. And they're going, what in the world is he talking about? And most of them leave him. And Jesus turns to the twelve and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter stands up and says, where can we go? You're the only one that has the words of life. And look at verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus knew it back then. He knew it when he chose him. Like I said, David was stunned and grieved when his close friend and his confidant betrayed him. Jesus is going to be terribly grieved because he loves Judas. Notice back up 13 verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved Judas just like he loved the rich young ruler who came up to him and said, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus told him, sell what you have, follow me. The rich young ruler, Eric talked about it this morning. He said, no. And turned around and walked off. And the Bible says Jesus loved him and let him go. He let him go. So Jesus needed someone to betray him. Someone, though, that was from the inner circle. Someone that was from the twelve. Someone that would know where Jesus would be that last night of his life. Someone that could go to the chief priests. And the chief priest would trust him because he's part of the inner circle. Someone that would say, now this is where he's going to be. He's going to be alone He's away from all of his fans. They're all asleep. And this is where you can seize him and kill him. He needed someone that could do that. Someone that would fulfill that profile. And Judas is the one. Because he needs someone to make sure that he'll be arrested. That he will suffer on the cross for his people and fulfill his mission to take all the wrath that we deserve on himself to die to be buried to be raised again so that we might be reconciled to God and he's going to do all that out of love for everyone that's going to trust in him now I want us to jump ahead to verse 21 we're told here when Jesus has said these things he became troubled in spirit. And remember he said that the scripture may be fulfilled that he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And the twelve that are sitting there at the table with him, they, they, it just goes over their head like so many other things go over their head. 
But when he says in verse 20, when Jesus has said these things, he became troubled in spirit and bore witness and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. That's when they get upset. It says, the disciples began looking at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Yeah, I mean, he keeps talking about he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be betrayed. Now he says it's going to be one of us. And they're looking at each other. And the synoptics there says, they're telling, they're, they're asking Jesus, Lord, is it me? Is it me? Because they can't believe it. How could this be? I mean, we've been with you for 12 years. You have taught us things that you haven't taught anybody else. We're the ones that when you're established in your kingdom, that we're going to be in the highest positions. We're the ones that you've lavished all these privileges on. We're the ones that you gave the power to heal and to cast out devils to. How in the world could one of us betray you? And by the way, what do you mean betray you? That, that doesn't fit in with our plan. And the disciples began looking at one another perplexed about whom he had spoke. And there was one reclining on Jesus' bosom, whom is uh, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. And you know this, but let's just recite it again. In Palestine at that time, when they would eat a meal, they had a really low table. And they would have what we would call couches, uh, benches with cushions on them. And they would pull the benches up with the ends toward the table. So this like uh, the table would be like the sun in the middle and the benches would be like rays of the sun coming out. And people would lean on those, on those couches, on those benches, stretch out on, on the bench, lean on an elbow and then reach in and get the food with their hands and feed themselves with one hand. And so everybody's reclining on these benches around the table. It, it's, you've seen Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper where they're all sitting up in chairs. That's not how they did it. Because they're reclining here. And so John, we know this is John because he wrote the book. John is sitting at Jesus' right hand. Remember that's what he'd ask for. He's, he's going to get it later but he really doesn't know what he's asking for. He's sitting at Jesus' right hand. So he's sitting here as he looks back there's Jesus sitting right here. Or stretched out right here. So Peter somewhere else at the table says, ask him which one it is. So John just leans back and asks him, who is it? And Jesus said, it's the one to whom I'm going to dip this piece of bread. Remember, they just had the Passover meal. They're still eating. So they have bread there. And he dips the bread in some sauce there. It's the one to whom I dip the bread and give it to. And he gives it to Judas. Now the only one that heard Jesus was John. None of the other apostles around the table heard Jesus say that. And we know that because when Jesus gives it to Judas. And we'll look at this in a second. Satan enters Judas. And Jesus says to him, what you do, do quickly. And the rest of the men... Everybody but John, stretched out around the table, figures that what Jesus is saying to, to Judas is either go buy the things that we're going to need for the rest of the feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or give some money to the poor. Because Judas has the money. He has the money box. 
So if they have no clue what Jesus has just said to John, that by dipping the bread in the sauce and giving it to Judas, he's indicating who betrays him. Notice that Jesus doesn't expose Judas to the other twelve. Why? What do you think they would have done to him? Yeah. And if they had killed him, or if they'd beaten him up and kept him from going to the high priest, Jesus won't be betrayed. He won't be crucified. We won't be saved. Mission will not be accomplished. But remember, Jesus is utterly in control of everything that's happening now. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. He's running the show. Nothing is going to stop him from going to the cross. Nothing. He knows what's waiting for him. And he's determined he's going to go in order to save us. So he doesn't expose Judas to the rest of the crowd. Judas gets up and leaves quickly. Now notice that it said here, when he had given the piece of bread to Judas, Satan entered him. Satan possessed him. Satan controlled him. Now back in verse 2 of the chapter, we were told that Satan had already put it in the mind of Judas to betray him. In other words, Satan had fixed it in Judas's mind that I am definitely going to do this and I'm going to do it now. But when Jesus gives him the bread, Satan takes control. Now don't think that Judas is some poor victim here at this point. Just like those who are demon-possessed. Demon-possessed people did not just find themselves walking down the street one day, going to Bible study, and all of a sudden a demon just jumps on them out of a rock and possesses them. That's not how people become demon-possessed. Demon-possessed people are those who love what Satan has to offer. And they love what the world has to offer. And they want more and more. And they'll do anything to get what they want. And so the demons just says, okay, I'll give you power to, to do what you want. Maybe not in an audible voice. But you just keep going that way. And I'll just take more and more and more control of your mind. Until finally you yield your whole self to me. Now I possess you. That's what Judas is doing. He's no poor victim. He is willing to do this. He's ready to do this. He's at the point, and I don't want to go down this road too far. He's disappointed in Jesus. You're not doing what I expected you to do. You keep acting humbly. You keep, you, you've not taken control. I see my money making scheme falling apart. And if the high priest will give me 30 pieces of silver, that's more than I've got now. So I'll sell you for that. He's a willing participant. He is complicit in Satan entering him. It's almost like, come on in and give me the strength to do this. So, once Satan enters him, once he has received the piece of bread, verse 30 says, he went out immediately. In other words, he picks up the box, out the door he goes. And it was night. Now, 
Get the picture. Judas has just left to go to the chief priests to sell Jesus out. To tell them it's his habit to go to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane at night with the disciples and to pray there. So that's where you can get him. And I'll even lead you there. Jesus, Judas has left. Everything else in chapter 13 down through chapter 17 Jesus is speaking to his 11 disciples alone. Judas is not included in any of the things that Jesus is going to be teaching in the rest of these chapters. And these are the meatiest chapters in the whole book of John. So get that picture in your mind. Now, let's read verses 31 and 32 and get to the end of this. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now notice he's just talking to the eleven. Now is the Son of God glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified, excuse me. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Now, now that Judas has left, now that he's out of here, now that he is on his way to the chief priest and now that the crucifixion is certain... The Son of Man is glorified. He's glorified when sinners see him for who he is. When sinners understand that he suffered, died, buried, was raised for sinners. Not for good people, not for the righteous. Jesus says, I've not come for the righteous, but for sinners. When sinners know that it's true, when sinners trust and re- trust him and repent and receive him as Lord, When they're justified by faith, when their sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, when they are made completely clean, like he says in verse 10, 10, when they are reconciled to the Father, when they're adopted by the Father, when we are transformed with new hearts and new spirits, Jesus is glorified. Jesus is glorified. And with these new hearts and these new spirits, then we glorify God the Father for His grace and for giving His Son to us and for opening up our eyes so that we can see what He's done, what He's done for us. And when our eyes are open, when we see Him for who He is, when we trust Him for who He is, when we're His, when we become His, We glorify the Son of Man. God the Son incarnate. The Son of Man. God the Son incarnate is the Lord Jesus Christ. We glorify Him for going through it all for us. For not quitting halfway through. For humbling Himself. For not calling 12 legions of angels when He's arrested in Gethsemane. For taking all of our sins on himself, like 1 Peter says. For enduring the hell that we deserve in his own humanity as a man. Now stop here for a second. Think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ is truly God, but he's also truly man. He's also truly human. And when he goes to the cross, he goes to the cross in his humanity. As one of us. 
Because what he's going to take on himself on the cross, when all of the wrath of God is going to be poured out on him, he's not taking it on himself as God. No, God's the one that's pouring out the wrath. He's suffering it for us as one of us. Just like we would suffer it. Exactly the same way we would suffer it. If we were receiving all of God's wrath on us. And so we glorify him that he did that. That he takes it on himself as a man. And that he exhausts all of God's wrath. For all of the sins. For all who will believe in him. So that at the very end. When we get to chapter 19. He can honestly scream out. It is finished. Done. Paid in full. And we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is. That he actually did become one of us except for sin. And it's mind-boggling. I mean, he's the creator. He's God the creator. We, we saw that in chapter 1, verse 1. In verses 3. And yet, the creator becomes a creature becomes a human being becomes man now remember I said we're going to skip over verse 19 we skip down to verse 21 go back to verse 19 now remember Jesus says from now on I am telling you before it occurs so that when it does occur you may believe that I am I'm telling you that I'm going to be betrayed. And now I'm telling you that one of you is going, to be, is going to betray me. So that when it does come to pass, you're going to believe, you're going to truly believe, I am. Now they heard him say that back in chapter 8, verse 58. Remember when he was confronting the, the Pharisees there at the temple. And he said, truly, truly, before Abraham was, I am they heard him say that. But it's gone over their heads. And he says all this is taking place now so that you may believe. That you may trust. That you may comprehend. That you may apprehend. That you may believe it to the pit of your soul. I am. That this man that has been doing these miracles with you for three years this man who has been teaching you for three years this man who has given such power to you could give you that kind of power because he's Yahweh the I am that I really am who I said I am I am God in the flesh mm. Mm. So we glorify him. We glorify him as who he is. We glorify him for what he's done. And then in verse 32, we're reminded again. If God is glorified in him, that is in Jesus, in the Son, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. In other words... If the Father is glorified in the Son, then the Father is going to glorify the Son. How? By raising him from the dead. 
by causing him to appear to his disciples not just the eleven after Judas kills himself but also to the 120 and we're told in Acts also to more than 500 at one time he's going to show himself to his disciples and then after being on the earth for 40 days God the Father is going to glorify him by raising him up bodily into heaven so that when he arrives in heaven just like Acts chapter 1 describes when he rises up through the clouds and goes into heaven that God the Father is going to sit seat his eternally God son that's a terrible way of saying it but his eternally his son who is eternally deity with him Stop laughing at me. Okay, I'm having a hard time with this. His, his son who has been from eternity, God as much as the Father is God, but who has recently also become human. He left heaven, God. He comes back to heaven, God and man. And the Father is going to sit his son in his throne. And he's going to declare him king of kings. Lord of lords with all authority in heaven and earth if God the Father is glorified in the Son then the Father will glorify him also but he says now is the Son of Man glorified all this is going to happen in the future I mean he's not even been crucified yet so why does he say now is the Son of Man glorified? Because remember that with God, as soon as he decides that something is going to be done, it's as good as done. I mean, in book of Revelation, we're told about the, uh, the Lord Jesus, about all of us Christians rather, that every Christian's name has been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. Wait a minute. So before anything was created, God recorded in the book of life the name of everyone who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not even born yet. The world hasn't even been created yet. And yet he's already recorded the name of everyone who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's recorded it in his book of life. How can you do that? Because he's determined to save them. And when God determines to do something, it's as good as done. Remember, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we're told, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. The end result is we're going to be holy and without blame before him. So go ahead and record them in the Lamb's book of life. In God's eyes, you are as good as saved the instant he determined to save you. But you weren't saved until you believed. And no one is saved unless they believe. Unless they receive Jesus as Lord and Master. But in his eyes you were as good as saved. When he recorded your name in the Lamb's book of life. In Isaiah 46 
which I may preach on this on Sunday afternoons. God calls himself the one who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done and says, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Jesus is not yet glorified. Jesus is not even crucified. And yet, it's as good as done. This is the God we trust. This is the God we've entrusted ourselves to. That he's in control of every aspect of our salvation from beginning to end. Just as he was in control of his own betrayal, his own arrest, his own trial, his own crucifixion, and his own death. He's been in control of everything concerning our salvation from beginning to end. He knew what, Jesus, what Judas was and chose him for that purpose. He knew what I was and chose me so that I would be an example of what he can do and what he does not perfectly yet <laughs> and I don't have to tell you that you already know that he chose you because he's going to make you an example of what he does and what he can do he chose us knowing exactly what we are. He chose us knowing exactly every sin that we would fall into after he justified us. After we trusted him. After we said, Lord, you are my Lord. And then at some point we act like a fool and pretend like we're back in charge of our lives. And we sin against him. He knew that was going to happen. And he chose us anyway. Because he knew that... His spirit would bring us to repentance and we would come back to him in repentance and we would submit ourselves to him again. He knows all of this because he makes it all happen. This is the God we serve. This is the God we trust. And we can therefore entrust ourselves to him with absolute confidence. Hallelujah. What a savior. Stand with me please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we're dismissed.